We are starting this new series that we're calling Letter to the Loyal, and we're going to be slow walking our way through the book of Philippians. Um, there's going to be resources for you on the website that they'll be up, hopefully, each week there will be some stuff for you to do, maybe more devotionally or more, you, you all know I like to get lost in the weeds. I'm going to try not to get lost in the weeds here on Sunday morning and let you get lost with, with the resource pages. And so that stuff will be loaded probably tonight or tomorrow morning for this week. And we're just going to slow walk through this. We're going to take breaks for Easter and different breaks like that. But uh, we're going to cover this book because I think it's a really good fit for where we are as a community, okay? And we're looking at these first six verses today. And it begins with this greeting, right? Where Paul and Timothy are, are greeting everyone and saying the role that they have as they greet this church. And often, if you look at other letters, you'll see that, that Paul identifies himself as an apostle of, of Jesus Christ. And a, an apostle is someone who goes and starts stuff. It's like a spiritual entrepreneur. And so he goes and says, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ most often. But the church in Philippi knows this about Paul. The, the church knows Paul. Paul started this church. If, if you remember in the book of Acts, there's this story where Paul's in a boat, and then there's this vision of a man in Macedonia. And if you don't remember this, it's a fascinating story. Go, go read it. Uh, but there's a, a vision of a man in Macedonia that, that says to Paul, Paul, come this way, and he sees this vision. And so Paul has the boat turn around and go back. And so he goes to a city called Philippi. And he goes on the Sabbath down towards the river where Jewish people would gather for like a Sabbath service. And he finds no man. There was a man in the vision, but there is no man at the water. There are a bunch of women led by someone named Lydia. And Lydia is, the scripture says that Lydia is this purple cloth dealer. She's kind of a wealthy woman and, and leading this group of females. And, and I don't think it's a leap to look at the scripture and see that uh, Paul might not have turned around if there was a picture of a group of women in Macedonia in the vision that say, hey, come over here. But he has a vision of a man. He doesn't go meet a man. Instead, he meets Lydia and these incredible women who are already God-fears, faithful to what they understand of God. And Paul comes and fills in some blanks, and out of that comes the church of Philippi. And out of that comes much of the money that finances all of Paul's ministry from then on. Fascinating little story. And so that's in, we get the record of that in the book of Acts, but that's all the backstory to this, where the church in Philippi knows that Paul's an apostle. So he changes the title that he goes by here. And in our NIV here, it says that Paul and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus. Uh, that's really cute, but that's not what the Greek is saying. So there's a really clear word in Greek for servant, and there's a really clear word in Greek for slave. Now the challenge is, in the Roman world, slavery was very different than the slavery our country has taken part of. And I think part of what we're seeing in this text, in our English translation, is that we have never dealt with our slavery. 
and so the word slave gets thrown away. I, I think what happens is, is people say, we're going to church, so let's talk about theological things. And let's, let's talk about the things of God. And if we can't say the word slave because we have an unsorted past with the word slave, then let's replace it with the most adjacent term we can come up with. Let's replace it with servant. And so they put servant in, and we all read it that way and assume that Paul wrote it that way because that's what we do. And, and I get it. And I'm not even mad at the translators for that. But... I have a different understanding of church, and y'all have formed that. I have a different understanding of what community is to be. I think that this is the exact space where we should come and deal with our unreconciled past. I think in community, as the people of God, on Sunday morning, that's the place where any unnamed and unrepented relationship with slavery is, is to be called out. This is a space where we're to say, hey, we have a complicated relationship with the word slavery, because we don't deal with it. We don't recognize it. We pretend that it didn't happen. We pretend it's not a part of our city. But the systemic injustice that we see to this day and that we do speak of comes from generational sin that's passed down and becomes not just a family system, but a structural system. The entire cities and states and now a nation are run by. That's what this is. Generation after generation. There are resources available. There are people who can, we can listen to, sites that we can visit, conversations that we can have. But in our own little ways, it's time that we continue to look and be honest about our past. We've done this since we started as one church, but our work isn't done. We need to continue to do this. We need to know that not long ago, there was slavery, and then Jim Crow and lynchings, and that was our story. That's the story of the, the spaces that we walk, right? There are 135 lynchings that happened in Kentucky. The last one was only 95 years ago in Todd County. And here is why this is so important. We have changed the words of the Bible because we ha will not face... Uh, uh, because of what we will not face. Let me say that again. We have changed the words of the Bible because of what we will not face. And my question then is, how many places have we done this? I don't have an answer. That's just my question. That as we become deeper disciples of Jesus and more honest about our stories and more honest about Scripture, that we might be people who mind this and recognize, no, we have changed Scripture to fit our patterns. And here's a space where that happened. When Paul writes about being a slave, he is not talking about chattel slavery. He is not talking about being stolen from your land, have, having all of your identity stripped from you, being chained, being insured as property so that if you die on the boat, someone still makes money off of you. That's not what he's talking about. But he is talking about being a slave, not just a servant. Because kind of when we think of servant, we think of like wait staff at Applebee's. And if I don't like the job, then I go work at Chili's. That's not what this is. He's talking about that we are slaves to Christ Jesus. That's the first line. You doing all right? First line of it. 
what does that mean for us as we follow where Paul and Timothy have been? Paul and Timothy say we are slaves to Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean for you? Okay, in these six verses, I am not going to get through every little detail, which is what I want to do, but it's not about me. We're just going to look at a couple things. But there's one fascinating Greek thing that I want to point out because I think it matters. I'm fascinated by it. If you are not, I got the mic. (laughs) So there's this point in English where it says, I thank God every time I remember you, right? I want you to know that that makes complete sense with the Greek. It's a great translation. I'm not here to just butcher translations. It's great. But the interesting thing with that is the my isn't there in Greek. It's assumed. The first person word isn't there. You have to guess which one of these two things Paul means. And this happens in Greek a lot. This is why you see some different translations. So it either means I thank God over my every remembrance of you or I thank God over your every remembrance of me. Do you hear the difference here? Somebody's remembering, and somebody is being remembered. And we get to do the theological work of deciding who is doing which. Now, it doesn't change the book. The theology of Philippians stays the same. Next week, whatever we decide here plays into what we read next week as well. I have a personal preference. You get to pick what you want, and you're completely right. I think the second one is more compelling. And here's why. Paul's in prison. We're going to get into this next week. He's in prison. He doesn't know what his future holds. He's in prison for treason. The punishment of treason is is death. So he's facing his death. He he says some fascinating things about death in this letter. We're going to look at all that. But he's facing that. He's mostly alone. He has some people coming and visiting, but he's apart from the work that he loves. He's apart from the people that he loves. And I think what he is saying is, I thank our God every time you think of me because you don't have to. You're out there doing your life and you remember me. We know in this letter that, that this, this church in Philippi sends somebody with a gift of money to him and a gift of encouragement and all of this stuff. And the letter of Philippi goes back with the same, uh, the letter of Philippians goes back with the same person to the church. And I think what he's saying is, you remembered me. You collected money and gifts and encouragement and all of this for me as I was just hidden away. And I thank God you remembered me. I think that's really, really compelling. I think that's really, really human and honest. I don't think Paul had some superpower that he was there remembering all these different churches. I think he was touched to his heart that some people that he loved remembered him when they could have forgotten. Because if he's like you and I, he probably was afraid he gets forgotten. He's out of sight, out of mind. And these folks who didn't have to remembered him. If you know what it's like to be remembered, that's a moving thing. And I think that's what we have here, this picture of being beautifully human. And then here is our big sentence for the day. We're going to sit in this one. You should be proud of me. I skipped like 10 hours that I would have loved to talk at you with. (laughs) It says this, 
I always pray with joy because of our, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so this Paul's joy, Karl Barth had looked at Paul's joy in in these three ways, and I'm going to steal his his example here. He wrote about these, these three ways that the joy was felt and understood, and we're pretending these are good circles. All right? So the outer circle, the outer circle is the material gifts, the money. He feels joy because they, they provided for him. That's okay. If you feel joy when your paycheck hits your account, that's okay. That's good. We're, we're not too holy for that. We're not too holy for a good meal, for a warm blanket, for a couple dollars. That's good. He feels some joy that his material and his, his physical needs are met, right? But there's more joy experienced here. We have uh, another circle. And this is this partnership in the good news. He feels this real deep joy that Lydia and the folks that were receiving the gospel way back when he went to go meet the man in Macedonia, that they continued on and they have lived in a way that is partnership in the good news of Jesus. This is that word, you guys might know the Greek word koinonia. I remember the church I grew up in had a hall named the koinonia room, which just meant fellowship room, but they thought it was really clever and cool to call it a Greek word. But it's the word for fellowship, for partnership, for uh, participation. They were like sleeves up, hands dirty in the good news. You know what I mean by that? Like sometimes you have somebody who's partnered with you in a way that like they, they come by and they're like, I like what you're doing over there. And then they drive on. That's not this. Like if he's digging a hole, then they're, they're digging a hole. They've been in this work with him. From the day he came to Philippi until this day that he's, he's now in jail. I get this. I feel this. These last few weeks, I felt this. I, I know I had my sabbatical this summer, but then this, this January, I just haven't been able to be around as much. I had a class, my ordination thing, I went to a funeral, I, I got my face work done, all this stuff. I've just been gone. And, and, and I've just been missing being here and thinking of you guys. And there are some of you who are newer. And those of you who are newer, you've brought such hope to me as I'm rem- reminded of what God has done. You know, sometimes when you're in the same work for a while, you forget. And then you start telling stories and you start talking and like, oh yeah, God's faithful, that's right. We got this thing. And you've been such a good reminder and a breath of fresh air that God is moving in our midst. But then there's some of you who have been here since before me. There's some of you who are like the real OGs of this church. Who, who ha, like knew the, the stories and the, the life before I knew the stories in the life. And your sleeves have been up and your hands have been dirty for years upon years upon years. You have been invested in the good news 
being proclaimed. You've been invested in this stuff forever. And your loyalty gives me such joy, gives me such hope, gives me such energy. I can only imagine that that's part of what this joy is that Paul is talking about. But that's not even the the end of it here. There's another one that's even deeper. And if you read on into verse 7, we don't have it on the screens, we'll look at it next week. But there is this inner circle of the sharing in the grace of God. Where we are what we are because of the grace of God in our life. He's aware that this church in Philippi is only the church in Philippi because of the grace of God. That Paul is only Paul because of the grace of God. That Lydia is Lydia because of the grace of God. All of this is happening because of how gracious our God is and that gives this kind of joy that is just deep, deep to the core. And then gives a deep courage to go forward. This is a beautiful thing to think on. A beautiful thing to ponder. A beautiful thing to be grateful for. And we read this in Paul's letter. But what is the, what is the fruit of this joy and this, this loyalty? The joy that Paul has, the loyalty that the church of Philippi has. For Paul, it is a confidence that God will finish this good work that was started in his friends until the day of Jesus. To me, hope drips out of that sentence. God will finish the good work. And that's said with conviction. That's written with conviction. You know, this is all handwritten. They didn't have Microsoft Word. I imagine there's some, like, beautiful font going on there. I imagine those manuscripts, there's some underlining and there's some stuff going on because there's emotion and hope around this idea that there's a good work that's being done. Now we're going to study a little bit of what the good work in the Church of Philippi looks like, but we're going to push pause on their life for a second. Because we have the gift of inheriting this book as our own. It wasn't written to us originally, but the way that God and the Holy Spirit works is we then become heirs of this, right? We become heirs of this rich text and it gets to speak to us right now and so in this what does this mean for those of us who are inheriting this book god will complete the good work that he started you feel that god will complete the good work that he started in you you resist that you feel like that seems too flowery too good newsy or you're like no that, that's about it that's what I need. Now there's a, an honesty that has to happen here is there, there's a waiting, right? That's what we don't like. But if we're really honest, we are kind of good at waiting if we believe something good is coming. Now I used to, you got, some of you might remember, I had this gray van that worked occasionally. And I don't know, hopefully you've never been here, but I think most of us have. That was the type of vehicle that it was an act of faith to put a full gas tank in. You know what I mean? I was like, today I feel like this is worth about four gallons. That'll get me three blocks. I I think you can make it. In good faith, I can give that. I think I can get a good return out of four gallons of gas. I rarely put anything more than $10 in that thing. 
because I wasn't sure anything good would come of that. But then when I'm sure that good could come, I'll wait. I was thinking about my favorite hobbies. I love to slow smoke food. That's like eight hours of trusted something good is coming out of that smoker. But I'll do it anytime I have eight hours. That's worth waiting. I have a couple gardens in my yard. A ton of you love gardens. You don't garden if you don't think something good is coming out of that. You're playing with worms and dirt and junk. But it's worth it to weed, to work, all of that, because something good is coming from that. One of my favorite days of the year is opening day of baseball, which for a lot of people is just hell. And for me, it's like this, uh, this act of hope that maybe in four million games, my team will win. Maybe we'll arise as champions. I love the beginning of a massive book when I know I'm going to commit all of this time and I don't know the ending yet and I don't cheat and read the last page because I trust that it's worth it. Some people like fishing. I don't get it. But it's that very thing. We wait. We put money away for a trip or a project or for retirement because we believe it'll be good. And let's be honest, look at my face. Nobody will glue your forehead to your nose unless you believe it is a good work. (laughs) Unless you trust that good things are going to come from that. Nobody's like, hey, make me Frankenstein. That'd be nice. Take, Take that little hat line and smack it down here and stitch it up and let you see what happens. You don't do that unless you know that in a month's time, that nose will catch, and it'll form a nose again, and, it, and I just got to wait a month. Oh, in a month I'll have a nose? Okay. I can wait a month. I can scare some children. I can draw some eyes. I can do this. When it's worth it, we can wait. And you know this in your life. When we aim our hearts at it, we know how to wait for goodness to be completed. But for many of us, we're, we're tired of getting tricked. And we get nervous that, that something might not shake out the way that we hope, or we're afraid that we're waiting for the wrong things. But for you, what good things are you waiting for? Are you already invested in? Like sleeves up, hands dirty, invested. Prayerfully invested. What's the good work that God began in you? In us? I want to look at this another way. And this is something I would love if you took some time devotionally this week. Maybe talk about it in a small group or with some friends. But maybe take a half hour. What is the, the good work that God has begun in you? The thing that you're hoping produces something, and that's why your hands are dirty. What's the good work that God's begun in us? If we thought this was it, we would stop. We'd be like, nice run. But we know that God is currently producing good. That's why we keep coming back. 
So what is this good work that God has called us to? And what is the good work that God is doing within the world that we're joining God in? You might have a slightly different answer than me. That's good, but we're joining in. This is where we're adding our amen. This is where there's a symphony of instruments, an orchestra all happening, and we're coming with like our cymbals at the end, you know, and just adding our peace. But it's something bigger than us. And here's the other thing that I want you to think through, and this is probably the hardest part for us. Which of these things are temporary and which are lasting? Right now, I have this hope that's big in me that in a month, my nose will look like a nose and I'll no longer look like a science experiment. But it's very temporary. Well, no. You come to church March 5th? Well, no. And in my experience, the more temporary... And the smaller the ring, the less satisfying it is. Sometimes it's needed. Right now, I I had cancer. I no longer have cancer. I needed that. And my nose done, and in a month, I'm going to heal. That's great. When we talk about real aches in our life, it goes to those bigger circles, and it goes to more lasting. Some of the things that Paul was aching for, now we are joining his ache, and it has not been satisfied yet. It has not been brought to completion yet. That does not mean that God is not faithful. That just means that we get to join the ache. It means that we get to have our sleeves up and our hands dirty right next to the church in Philippi, right next to the church that kept going under Rome, right next to the church that went through all the schisms of the church becoming Catholic and Protestant, right next to the church that decided whether European church mattered or the world global church mattered. All of these things, we're joining into some of these long-lasting aches. Believing that he who began this good work in you, in us, in this world, will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Where are you invited in? Where am I invited in? Paul is saying, from prison, with an uncertain future, is what he has gained in faith from living with this community is a confidence that the things that God has begun, God will finish. And Paul may not see the completion before he breathes his last, and we know that he didn't, but that doesn't change the fact that Paul is engaged in things that are larger than him. And that he has set his heart to the completion of these things. And they are not determined by whether his hands complete them or not. But the fact that it is not all resting in his hands. That the God that set this thing in order will see it to completion. And we get to be invited in. And if we're looking for meaning and courage and life and energy, I think we begin to see a lot of it right here in the beginnings of the book to the loyal people in Philippi.
So how about you? And how about us? What good work are we being invited into? Amen?